I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/slash recommend today. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Hi, I'm Joe Connolly with producer Neil A. Caruso. With David Lewis, the founder of Operations, Inc. HR Services, I've known David for a long time, and he's one of the most connected, plugged-in business owners I know, partly because he knows what's really going on at his nearly 1,000 clients. He knows confidentially what they're talking about, what their issues are, and as a result, he's an excellent source and always has been an excellent source of what's happening in business for me. So, David, where are your clients right now in their reopening plans? The I think the consensus at this point, Joe, is that the plans that they all had when they entered the summer have now become plans that they put on hold for the most part. I'm not saying that there hasn't been a few companies that have decided to still move forward and bring people back into the office early September and require that to be part of the arrangement. But many have taken a look and realized that that plan needed to be set aside once Delta became such a force in our communities and in our society. And so most companies have taken a pause. And the ones we're, that are listening to us are really focusing, as painful as it is to say, are focusing on spring 2022 as a point when they can probably comfortably reassemble their office staff in an office setting. We hear, though, that office occupancy in Manhattan is coming back up, approaching 30 percent, still extremely low. But it's not it's still not happening as as fast as it seems like. Yeah, I, I think the you know, I, I, I use certain different certain measures to sort of gauge the return. Um, one of them continues to be. The fact that my commute, if you want to call it that, of 15 minutes when I am here in the office, um, in our offices in Norwalk, takes me past the, new, the train station in New Canaan. And the train station in New Canaan pre-COVID, at the hour I would travel past between 6.30 and 7 o'clock in the morning, was pretty much two-thirds to three-quarters filled. And it's a pretty substantial parking lot. Went by there this morning on my way in at around 7.30 this morning, well past that point when it's mostly filled. You could have found a parking spot up against the train station tracks themselves, which were coveted spaces that used to fill at 5, 5.30 in the morning. That tells me all I need to know about how people still are working remotely and are not making their way into the city. And I think, you know, that's a big that's a big danger because I, I listen to your reports regularly 
And I hear about all of the new leases that are being signed and companies like Google that are committing to being in the city. But I also hear 10, 15, 20 times as many stories about those companies that still are wondering why they have all of this space in Manhattan and if things will ever return to pre-COVID normal. I think we're looking in an order of years versus months before you really see those office buildings have any kind of population comparable to what we had pre-COVID. How are most of your clients doing in sales, David? Revenues, business? So it's, it's interesting. We, we serve so many different sectors. So I want to talk about a couple of them. The nonprofits are really doing well. Um, now, you could argue that many of them, depending on who they serve, what parts of the community they serve, that they have more customers, per se, more need out there. But the, the people who make those nonprofits tick and who make donations into those nonprofits are making so much money in a, in a stock market that is just flying, that they've become more generous in some respects and that they have provided more funding for those organizations. And then the other interesting part in some of the organizations I personally am involved with and my family is involved with is their costs have come down. Fundraising used to be about these big elaborate events that carried all of these expenses. And at the end of the day, they'd make some good money. But now they're making even more by doing them virtually, not having the expense of the, of the hall or the food or all of those pieces. When you move into other white collar businesses, especially service businesses, they too are seeing, depending on the niche, most of them are seeing um, significant growth and very positive outcomes for this year. And as a result, they're hiring. They're hiring um, as quickly as they can bring people on like we are. Um, so I, I would say for the most part, the market that we are servicing has done well. But listen, at the end of the day, I'm not going to say our business is a business that is a luxury for companies. But if you're coming to a firm like us for help, it tends to mean, at least um, for the most part, mm. that you're doing well and that you need more help with your people issues, whether it be finding people or retaining those people. And that's why I think we've just, uh, you know, we've grown so much. One other question before we hear from Neil. The business and professional services firms that are generally doing pretty well, where are they performing their services? In empty offices, in headquarter buildings for when people come back? Or are they going to remote locations? Where are they doing what they do? Yeah, they're doing it remotely. I mean, the one area of our business that is not doing as well as it was before COVID is in training. And training for us was always about the in-person experience, about coming into a training facility, a training room or a hotel um, conference center and being able to get in front of our students and, and really connect with them, have a discussion versus have a lecture. That's our secret sauce. Well, we've had to pivot that since last year to something online. Uh, and at Zoom, it just doesn't translate. You hear the term now regularly said of Zoom fatigue. It's that online communication fatigue that we're all really not able to push past maybe half an hour, an hour. I mean, we are doing training now at 75 minute increments as an example. So, you know, what our clients are doing now is they are assembling our interaction with their employees in virtual settings. We are, you know, we're getting on the road a little bit more now, you know, but it's very, very um, minute in comparison with where we were prior to March of 2020. So it's really a virtual existence for a lot of our client relationships these days. Neil. 
David, I you know want to get to hiring in a second, but have these businesses, have your clients realized that remote work is actually working for them? And if not, why are others so reluctant to this shift? Yeah, I, I think the answer is yes to both sides. They, they are realizing that it has worked, but it's one thing to sit there and say that the entire universe, literally the entire world has to work remotely because of pandemic circumstances, because we had no choice. But now given the choice or the perception that there is a choice, there are a lot of companies out there who know what worked best for them before COVID and are really ignoring what successes and what pro progress their organizations made in doing things on a remote level and want to go back to the way things were before. And listen, I understand that too. I'm in that same boat. I've got about 20 people in the office today, which is almost a high watermark for us since March of 2020. I'm ecstatic about the ability to dynamically talk to my employees, bring somebody into a meeting and have a quick conversation with them about an issue that just came up. I know I can do that on Zoom. I know that I can do that on Teams or these other virtual um, settings that we have. But the in-person thing for me, and maybe that makes me old school, is just easier. It's something that's more familiar and I'm more comfortable with. And I keep hearing that from our clients that, you know, I want to go back to the way that we did it before because that worked best for us. It's not that the remote thing isn't working, but they want to go back to the way things were before. And that's a big clash right now because at the end of the day, employees are in control and employers need to understand that. Employees are saying, listen, I want to work remotely. And if you won't give me that option, there are other places who will. And you know what? The employees are right as is evident by almost 11 million posted jobs right now, employers really need to find the right balance between what they'd like to have happen as a pre-COVID norm versus what the new realities are for the post-COVID norm. David, I wanna ask you about those job postings though, because it seems like there are more jobs posted than people are actually getting. Um, talked to some hiring managers recently. It seems like there's a wall between the, you know, the jobs actually um, getting filled because of this artificial intelligence. That's always been there, but is it worse now because of yeah. remote work and remote hiring? What are some of these challenges that are impacting the labor market? So many great aspects in that question, Neil. So let, let's talk about the applicant tracking system issue for a second, because I really love that um, particular angle. So applicant tracking systems are filtration systems. They are designed basically like a sieve to be able to take X number of resumes and filter them down to a certain number that the employer ultimately feels is manageable for them to be able to screen. What companies forget is that the holes in that sieve can be adjusted to become bigger or smaller depending on the circumstances. A lot of companies have invested a lot of money in these applicant tracking systems but don't know enough about how to be able to change those filtration settings to get the candidates that they're looking for through the door. They also tend to eliminate a lot of people because they're not remembering that the settings they have for five years of this or two years of that need to be regularly adjusted. So the bigger companies are really struggling with getting people in the door in part because they don't know how to make that ATS work for them and do the things that they want. At the same time, we got a skills mismatch for sure. There is absolutely a supply and demand challenge that's going on. The nature of the open positions that are out there don't necessarily match up with the available workforce. And then here's the other kicker. You got a lot of people who right now are looking to hire because their environment is not the one that people are migrating to because they're the ones who require people to come into the office. And 
essentially make compromises to their safety. And that is a big issue. You got a lot of people who are applying for jobs at companies who have openings because people have left them because that company requires people to get on a train, go to get on a subway, go into a crowded office building, and then be inside with a whole bunch of other people, even with or without a mask. A lot of people have those safety concerns. That is a big portion of those 11 million jobs, I think, is with companies that are forcing people to do things that they're not comfortable doing. We don't have good reporting to tell us how many of those jobs fit into that category, but it's a variable that you need to consider. That's amazing about companies not knowing how to use their automatic tracking system. It was thought that the ones who would want to go back to the office the most were going to be young people, because there's also a social component, and older people, because that's the way we've always done it. Is that unfolding that way, David? It is to some extent, but from a personal perspective, uh, you know, I've, I've got two kids. I've got a 29-year-old daughter and a 26-year-old son. And my son works for a software company um, that's based in Boston. He recently relocated back to New York City, but he still has that job. And he's working from his apartment in New York City every day. And candidly, it drives me nuts as a parent because I'm looking at a 26-year-old thinking he should for, for career growth, for professional growth purposes, should be in an office with other people who are more senior than him, who we can learn from and can have greater interaction with. Now, with that said, it's hard to ignore the fact that he's been promoted three times. He loves his job. He's very successful at it. So you can't really argue with that type of success. With that said, I think he, to some extent, is the outlier. I think most companies are seeing more youth come into the office, mostly because they don't have the flexibility in their homes to be able to work remotely and have a comfortable home office setup. His first apartment was a one bedroom with three other roommates and they carved the place up to be able to create sleeping spaces for them, but not workspaces for them. So I think that's true. And yes, I do see many of our clients. If you take a look at the population of people in offices these days, they're mostly over 50 with the exception of those who have some type of um, health concerns or health issues and who are staying away for those purposes. Well, David, there are a lot of issues remaining, but it's amazing how well businesses have done. You could not have predicted that, that we would be operating this way, this successfully. And, and I think what's even more interesting, Joe, is you never have seen the revolution of remote work and of rethinking how we work without a pandemic. Um, and you know, I think a lot about this. I mean, the two things that, that struck me so far, one was if this had happened in 1980, what would we have done? I mean, you're talking about probably the collapse of most economies because of the lack of technology to be able to aid in the process and make this easier, or a lot more people dying because people would have been forced to still go to work in spite of all of the risks associated with it. Here we have the benefit of technology being able to make this easier and more manageable. And, and the second thing is work will never be the same. I mean, we have to, I think, put our heads and wrap around the idea that whatever we're doing and have been doing for the last year and a half, you know, this is going to change everything going forward. And I think one other piece to just throw out there, what people I think are missing in the business world is that it's one thing when everybody is working remote it's another thing when everybody is working for the most part in office, but when you have a hybrid system, it is not the same as either of those. 
it is a third learning curve and companies need to figure that out. And they're starting to now. How do you manage hybrid organizations? How do you manage a hybrid workforce? How do you deal with some portion of a department being home and some of them being in the office? Um, th those are variables that are going to take time for companies to sort of find their sweet spot and find that balance. And the opportunity to get into the weeds and start doing that in September has now come and gone because of Delta. But I think it also gives companies a chance to rethink about what their strategy was going to be for dealing with a hybrid environment so that if it is March or April before we get back to some level of pre-COVID normal, they have more time to prepare for that moment so that they're better positioned to be able to manage the workforce of the future. That's David Lewis, founder of Operations Inc., HR company he started in Connecticut and now has clients all over the country and all over the world, for all I know. It's great to listen to you talk about business, David. Thank you, and we'll have you back again. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Neil. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. <laughs>